This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. And today, Tom, we have a special guest with us, Ms. Danielle Elia. Hello, Danielle. How are you? Hi. So Danielle is my roommate, although she abandoned me this year, but she's spiritually still, still my roommate in school. Smart, smart person. <laughs> not cool, Tom. Not cool. Um, beyond my control. <laughs> nonetheless, uh, Ms. Danielle is a fellow history teacher. And she's like the guru of world history at our school. She's a guru of everything. Where am I kidding? But world history is more her jam than, than, than myself, I have to admit. I mean, Tom, I don't know about you, but world history has never been my forte. You don't I think mean, you ever taught it, right? Me? I taught it once. <laughs> like 16 years ago. Dang it. We always said we're trying to do more world history stuff. And we wind up just going to like the War of 1812 or something instead. I know. Which actually this is, is good. This is good. This is we're good. Sticking yeah, to, we're sticking to what we picked. And no one is literally listening to more of 1812. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, we're just going to skip this one. I'm like, okay, fine, jerks. Anyway, so today, forgot war. Yeah, forgot war. That's right. We're going to keep it that way. So today we're going to uh, have a conversation about Henry VIII and his six wives. And I, uh, I really brushed up on this stuff. And I know, Danielle, you teach a lesson about this stuff, don't you? Yes. Several times I've taught it. So the yeah, interesting okay. thing is every time you look up something or research, there's new information that pops up. So oh, interesting. Like a never ending story. So I think I was going to like, I was going to kind of start off a little bit about like Henry VIII, just like what do we know about Henry VIII? And then, then we'll run through like just chronologically through uh, like uh, run through his wives. That sounds really bad. Um, go over his marriages. Ta-da. Right. That sounds good. Perfect. Okay. So apparently, first of all, I know, uh, apparently Henry VIII, I always saw, you always see that painting of him like that, you know, big, sick, over six foot tall, really fluffy guy. But apparently he was like in really good shape when he was younger. Everywhere I'm reading, they're saying he was, uh, you know, uh, really into sports and exercise and like super handsome. And then he, when he passed away, um, he was like 400 pounds and needed a special mechanical something to help lift him on his horse and and so you know his life's definitely changed a little bit yeah and it was an exaggerated change too because he was like a model of fitness at as a young man and he really did enjoy playing tennis and having tournaments and all of that fun stuff i thought it was jousting too tennis really yeah tennis. so he liked the hawking right like sitting uh Mm -hmm. that whole thing but Uh, tennis i didn't know tennis was around okay Sorry. Yeah, China, the inside. They played indoor in the courts. Oh. So even when the French Revolution comes around, right? And we're like, tennis court. Oh, like they went to the tennis court. You always yeah. have to remind people it's inside. But he had a jousting accident and he has an ulcer in his leg um, after a certain point that continues to be infected and inflamed throughout the rest of his life. And that's attributing to some of the weight gain and possibly coupled with diabetes, obesity, and vein issues. So, And I also read that they say that, well, they, historians are trying to figure out whether the jousting accident actually left him with some form of brain damage that made him like a little obsessive compulsive. But there's no studies that definitely prove that. But like sometimes people say that like he might have had a slight personality change after this particular accident. 
But I think when this accident happened, he was already a couple of wives in because his wife had a miscarriage when he fell off, right? This jousting accident because she was like freaked out about it. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I thought that was the thing. There's, um, there's a lot of miscarriages. So not the first wife though. And it was not. Yeah, that's what I thought. What else do we know about Henry VIII? That's kind of some... Well, they were talking about his health. I saw, I was reading a lot that he was a hypochondriac. He was obsessed with like, at least younger in life, like staying healthy. Yeah. Like if anyone around him ever got sick, he just refused. He, he like wouldn't go near him. He did that with Anne Boleyn. He like stay away from her when she got sick in the 1520s. I saw that he would let ambassadors come in like during sicknesses and during mm-hmm. plague outbreaks and stuff like that. He would leave London for nearly a year because he just was so wanted to make sure he wouldn't uh, get these diseases. He was so worried about it, even though obviously later on in life he just put on a massive amount of weight. He just didn't care anymore. Yeah. As far as he you know he stayed away from sickness, but he wasn't trying to keep himself in shape anymore. I also saw that he was like really paranoid of sweating sickness. I've never even heard of yeah, sweating sickness thing, until sweating I started sickness. doing this research. I'm like, sweating sickness. Yes. See, that's the world history stuff that you miss out on. Yeah, yeah. Very common back in the day. I got to stop by your class more often. <laughs> I'm like, so literally I'm like sweating sickness. So I started like Googling that and, you know, it's like prime, like what happens in a sweating sickness? But obviously you, you sweat. There's um, still a lot of questions around what some of these diseases typically or actually were but they would be characterized by their symptoms sometimes and it was pretty much high fever and sweating yeah (laughs) how original (laughs) um did you guys see that he was actually an author yeah like apparently he wrote a book well so it was a response to um what was the response to martin luther right yeah martin luther Luther. yes because he said Um, that like he was he was defended right the sacraments or something. He was, like he was supporting the uh, church in Rome, yeah, the defense of the seven sacraments. That's ironic. Yeah, well, when they suited him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was very um, much Catholic throughout most of his life in his beliefs, and he did study a lot of theology. And he was a very big advocate of quoting parts of the Bible later on in life. But although some of his actions don't necessarily line up with the Pope. Uh, they're very much going to be following Catholic traditions and sacraments and so forth. Going going along with that, I also read that he was fluent in yeah. like three languages or fluent in two. I think it was, it was Latin, right? Uh, French. And he also spoke a little bit of Italian. He was already born a monarch, basically. So I guess you would have really good education. You know, from that. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't prime for the throne, but he definitely was well-educated and did take to his studies quite frequently as a child. I think that's an awesome segue too, because like you said, he wasn't prime for the throne and that kind of really starts off like an introduction to his first wife, right? Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, let's go there. Right. So let's go there. All right. So his first wife was Catherine, Cath- was Catherine of Aragon, right? Yes. But actually she was not first his wife. So you want to get into that? Sure. All right, go. I'll I'll start with it. So uh, we all know about Christopher Columbus, right? And how he ends up going to Spain and getting sponsored to go seek a trade route to the New World or really to the Spice Islands. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the same Isabella and Ferdinand that end up having children. And their youngest, I believe it was the youngest, Catherine of Aragon, is going to be promised at a very young age. She's betrothed to Arthur of Wales, and he is the the oldest of Henry VII and Elizabeth of York to take the throne um, when it gets passed on. 
and do you want me to keep going? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you're absolutely. fine right here. This is my first time, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, <laughs> more like shut up. No, no, go for it. Go for it. This is good. This is good. Go ahead, Danielle. Okay, so Catherine of Aragon. A lot of people talking about her fierceness, her beauty, and she knows that her and Arthur are going to be married, and that was like their destiny, and she was going to be the queen of England, hopefully, if everything worked out. She also came with a massive dowry, which there's a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) a little bit going back and forth of like, where did the money go um, when she does show up to England? But when she's there, they get married. And he was more sickly, right? We're getting, I think it was sweating sickness yet again, hitting uh, six months after their wedding, their wedding night. And after that, uh, it comes out that apparently they did not, did not consummate the marriage. Yep. That came up. That was like a big deal, right? Yeah. And Later on. There were, you know, like her, her, like pretty much her, her lady in waiting or her, her helper. I don't want to say necessarily servant because there's a different term, I think, for Spanish. They're your servant that help you yeah. do, like, get dressed and bathe you and get your food and make sure you show up to appointments and mm-hmm. seek you when people need you. But also vouch that the marriage was not consummated. So is this something where she's just trying to save her future and set it, you know, in a direction where she'll stay in England and not get you know, sent back to what was Spain or, and have a lot of uncertainty over her head. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Or did it actually not happen? So we probably will never know. But it does come up later, right? Because she is right after that, she's basically offered right to Henry VIII, like the younger brother. So while Henry VIII marries her, so he's essentially marrying his brother's widow but he eventually, when he, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but when he wants a divorce from her, he says he wants it because he believed that the marriage was consummated. Correct? Correct. So he's he's going to be advocating to get married to her um, after his brother dies. He mm-hmm. knows he's going to be the future king of England. Um, there is a role that his father, Henry VII, might have pushed for this marriage to actually happen because the dowry did not fully show up yet and yeah. they need money. Cause you have to remember at this point, when we're looking at world powers, especially in Europe, Spain's higher up than England is. So England does need to make sure they're not going to go back into another civil war, like the war of the roses. Um, they want more stability. They have enemies also looking for territory, especially like France is always dicey between England and France, you know, like who's going to take over Calais. Uh, and this is something where, you know, that would really be to the advantage if they could have some more financial security. So it doesn't happen overnight, though. It takes years to have this marriage go through. Yeah, because Henry VIII took the throne. So this is 15, early 1500s, like 1509. He was only 17. I believe she was, wasn't she older than him, Catherine, when they got married? I want to say she was. Yes. And they also say, based on my research, that it seems like, at least from historians believe, right, that this is the one that he actually, like, loved. They were pretty madly in love at the beginning. They said that he actually cared for all of his wives, like, when he was with them. He would call them sweetheart and stuff like that. It was really just when he got bored with them. 
or fall in love with them, then he just cut them off. He just abandoned them. Literally like cut them off. Existed. I get it, get it. Well, yeah, a couple of them did get things cut off, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of them, yeah, but they said that, yeah, um, Catherine of Aragon was the one he probably loved the most. But he was married with her to the longest time, right? Like 23 years. 23 years, yeah. 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 yeah, it was it was several decades. And that's the thing. Like you go through some of these other wives that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Fast. And yeah, like maybe only a couple months and peace out. But um they had a really long and strong relationship. Like she was one of his closest political advisors as well. Um it only starts to come after some of the miscarriages and lack of having a son that he starts to then I think it was Leviticus in the Bible along the lines of, you know, like, you know, if you marry your brother's wife, you, you know, you're not going to have children pretty much, which she did have a child. They had a child together. Mary. Um, yeah. Mary. Yep. Mary. We all know Queen Mary the first of England, uh, also nicknamed Bloody Mary. Right. Like she's going to show up if you say her name in the mirror three times. And uh, right, like all the Halloween things that yeah. you hear uh, with the wives' tales. But but she was one of six, wasn't it? I mean, technically, Catherine was pregnant six times. Mary's just yes. the only one that lived, right? But every time, uh, especially one of the later miscarriages, she miscarried a boy and they could tell it was a boy. Yeah. So now he's thinking like, all right, well, is this because of what? Like I've sinned pretty much. Remember, he's a very... Fire uh pious Catholic at this point, you know, and she's also the face of right, like she in the family, it was uncle, then nephew, holy Roman emperor. So you also had a reputation to uphold there. Yeah. On her All right, so what happens here? So so basically he gets to be he he becomes slightly paranoid about the fact he doesn't have this male male heir. And um but also at this time, while he's married to Catherine, does he does technically have a male heir, which is just an illegitimate child, right? Because in 1519, um, I'm pretty sure he gets uh, what's Elizabeth Bessie Blount 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 something pregnant, and Henry Fitzroy is technically King Henry VIII's only acknowledged illegitimate child, as far as history knows. Yeah, there's probably a few others, but he's acknowledged one. There was even talk at one time, right, of him legitimizing him because he wanted that male heir so bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Mary was actually supportive of that, saying, like, yes, you can actually name him a successor if that would, you know, help you out in our position, you know, as a unified England. Yeah. Uh, and that probably would have been challenged, right? Like a lot. There would have been factions that didn't want because he was a, a bastard, basically. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Born out of wedlock, did not have as what could be seen as divine right being passed down, being chosen by God to rule. And that was something a lot of people did take serious that were in power. Yeah. Right. So like, if you start that trend in England, is that going to carry over to another nation and yeah. what kind of you know issues could that open up for other kingdoms? So let's go to the Bolin. Bolin. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Bolin, right? And Bolin. Boleyn, yeah, I know. Well, before Boleyn, wasn't it Mary first? Because he was hooking up with Mary, who was Anne's yeah. sister, and yeah. they were and they were both technically the ladies in waiting, like you said, like the not servants, but for Catherine. So first, he, apparently, he had sex with Mary, which and then like kind of just like pushed it to her side and was like, yeah, okay, I'm done there. Which is why Anne was like, I will not go to bed with you until or unless you actually like marry, court me, and marry me. Yeah. They both uh, were educated at French court, 
uh, how to flirt and pretty much like have people in your favor, right? Like women training other women how to get attention and hopefully use that to raise your social status in society or keep your status. And Mary got like the short end of the stick there because she did um, have, you know, several affairs with the king. She was considered a mistress for a while. She was the prettier one in a lot of people's eyes. But it ended with her pretty much being forced out of court and marrying kind of like beneath her socioeconomic class, beneath her status. And there was a rumor that the child that she was pregnant with was actually Henry VIII's and not her actual husband. So was that part of the reason why she got pushed out and had to marry so quickly? We we probably won't know. Um, but, you know, if you're Anne and you're watching this, like, you don't want that to happen to you, too, especially if you want to stay in the favor of the king. Yeah. So she's like, nope, you can't touch me. And she was a big flirt for years. Yeah, and that really drove him nuts. Like he he attracted that attracted him even more to her, from what I was reading too, right? Yeah. The fact that she was resisting his um, advances. That's why he's like, I have to get divorced from He literally yeah. changes history for, for this girl. Well, Anne was a lot younger too, right? Wasn't she only like twenty five yeah. when they met? Yes. And you know, uh, it's gonna be a hard reputation because most of Henry's friends too are like, okay, like, you know, it's one thing if it's gonna be a mistress, but like if you're actually serious about this, like that's a whole different can of worms here. Yeah. And even when they do end up um husband and wife, it's something where the only thing that's really protecting her in the eyes of the public is him, is the king. You yeah. know, nobody really in support of Anne being the queen and they called her the great pretender um a succubus they that she bewitched him so there's some really harsh uh you know trolls out there for that time giving her some flack so things kind of basically just kind of sum it up a little bit he winds up asking for a divorce from the pope from catherine well not from the pope you know what i mean um the pope says no and then he says, you know what, forget it, and winds up basically disattaching England from, right, the Catholic Church, uh, creates the Church of England, and dis- gets his divorce from Catherine, which on the basis, apparently, that she did consummate the marriage with his brother, therefore making his marriage not pure and therefore, like, illegal. So then he marries Anne, and things are supposedly going well for Anne, except there's obviously one problem with Anne. What, what, what's the problem, guys? She's not she, giving him that male heir, right? Exactly. She gives him a daughter, Elizabeth. right? Which yeah. turns out to be Elizabeth, right? That's Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabeth. Yes. Elizabeth I. Um, and I just want to point something out, Pete, that you just said, which is something where I don't want to get like too technical, but everybody's like, oh, he got divorced. But technically, he asks for an annulment. Which yeah, is- as if it never happened. Yeah, it was like illegal ground mm-hmm. of getting married because he's like, no, she, you know, consummated the marriage with my brother. And now he's paranoid that maybe he's been sinning and keeps throwing it back on Catherine to push yep. for the annulment. And the Pope's not granting it. And here's the thing. The Pope might actually have agreed, but Clement is in a bad position because he's the Pope. And this is the niece I'm sorry. At this point, sorry. It's mm-hmm. Catherine of Aragon's nephew is the Holy Roman Emperor. So you're like the king, the po- a politician enforcing this religious rule 
it's going to be a bad look. So he doesn't yeah. want to cross somebody that he's really good, you know, allies with. Yeah. Um, no, interesting. Yeah. And then with, everyone's, with, everyone's related to somebody else during this time. I feel all the major yeah. players are all, they're all, they're all somehow, the DNA is everywhere. Yeah. But what happens right. to Ann? So Ann doesn't give him, like, so Ann doesn't give him the air that he wants. He, he gets Elizabeth. And this is where it kind of gets a little twisted, right? Because based on everything that I'm reading, it seems like he, did he actually, like, I mean, I'm, you obviously know about, more about this. Was she cheating on him or was that just rumors that he used as like a pretext to, you know, get her beheaded, basically? Yeah, she was probably the the target of false claims all around. But remember, let's go back to her reputation. She wasn't really favored. She is going to have to help him now run this Church of England Anglican Church because you know, since the Pope wasn't giving him the annulment, he's like, forget you. And it's really the seat, the Holy See. It's the diplomatic position that the Pope occupies, not necessarily being the leader of the religious views. So Henry is now going to be the leader of the Church of England, the Anglican Church, and he gets to choose what goes and what doesn't go. And the thing is, Anne's going to jump on board with that. So when you have this new religious change takeover, she's also going to be the face of part of that change. Um, She's already going to get a tough time from the public. Now, they might have gotten married secretly in a ceremony, which wasn't so unheard of. But she is probably going to get pregnant before they're publicly officially married. Um, And that's just speculation that there was a secret marriage. But... You know, you wait years, you're holding off, you're flirting with him. You know, you're so close to getting married. What's the point of, you know, kind of going against that in the public eye? Yeah. And she has a girl. So we just talked about Elizabeth. She has a girl, but then she gets pregnant a couple more times. And then she ends up, you know, having miscarriages that or stillborns and they're boys. So they can tell the gender. And now Henry's thinking, oh, my gosh. Is this like, am I cursed again? Is it because of this woman that, you know, like I'm getting lured? Maybe she did bewitch me. And he's starting to get very, very paranoid about that. So um, there were stories that she was pregnant. She lost the baby. She was all of a sudden pregnant again. And, you know, the incest could have been her brother trying to get her re-pregnant. There was a rumor about that. I did read that. That was one of the things that got her eventually killed, right? The yeah, they threw her in a Tower of in, London. Incest, incest, and, yeah. incest and treason. Yeah. Yep. That she was plotting with her, with her brother, um, her brother. brother and other people. Yeah. yeah, and other people to overthrow the king. But, and but they said that a lot of that evidence there wasn't really a lot of facts. Any of that. Right. It was not. Um, it was more Thomas Cornwell like going after her, right? Yeah, and you have to remember too. Like, there's a lot of people having their own agendas influencing the king. You know, I don't like this person. I like this person, and help like in his ear. Yeah, and he's him. just interested in having a having a son. So if he'll get rid of her and get yeah. another girl. Or he just wants a son. Yeah, but yeah. how he got rid of her is like what? I mean, he, like he said once he was done with them, he was done with them. Like he yeah, didn't but care. He, she was were, beheaded. Like there was a trial of two thousand people attend this trial. That's, that's also, I mean, that's also how things worked back then. You, they, they had you. We used to pump people full of electricity. You know, well, yeah. now we stick them with needles. Like you know, it's always going to be something different. You're going to use laser beams one day. I mean, there is a nice little tribute for of her, you know, with a pill, glass pillow 
um, at the Tower of London, even currently today, uh, you know, commemorating, I guess, the execution of Anne. But oh, he was, yeah. he did, he did show a little bit of remorse. And this is, she was like, listen, at one point you did love me. Can you just remember that you did have, it was somewhere in your heart and please get a good executioner because <laughs> she didn't want it to be bloodbath. And I think we kind of forget that in modern terms. Like you're saying like, yeah, we electrocuted people and so forth, but you know, you're hoping if anybody's ever swung an ax, I love how in movies you like pick up an ax, like they're chopping firewood and it's like one hit and a thing completely yeah. Um, not to get too grotesque, but yeah. you don't want to have the executioner swing and not kill you the first time. Or like hit a shoulder or something. My bad. <laughs> oh man, and then it's so wrong. Pull it out and swing again. So he yeah. hired a top-notch executioner. She was very thankful for that. She's like, I got a small neck, so it should be no problem here. Jesus. Um, and that was, you know, how she met her end. And all of this is happening, and you know, Queen Elizabeth, the future Queen of England, that's not there yet, that we all know, uh, for like the Shakespearean period, you know, she's watching all of this play out publicly between mommy and daddy. And she's only like four or five years old. Like she's pretty Nuts. young. Well, that's also a perfect segue. She's also watching the fact that literally the day after Anne's execution, right? Henry becomes engaged to Jane Seymour the next yeah. day. And they get married 10 days after that. Like, Come on, like Henry was already like he was ready. He had this lined up. Yeah, well, yeah, he was moving on. You know what? Why? Well, yeah, but a day later, what? So number three, Jane Seymour. Okay, what do we know about Jane Seymour? Actually, from what I understand, um, she formed a very close relationship with Mary, the, like Mary the first, the first you know from Catherine's daughter, and apparently helped like mend their relationship between Henry and Mary because after. Uh, when he was married to Anne, he basically said, all right, my daughter married from my first marriage. Like he just kind of signed her off, said she's not part of this. She's not getting anything in this. And he basically said the line of succession would go to Elizabeth. And this is the beginning of him kind of reconciling with Mary through his third wife, Jane. Um, she does give birth to a boy. Yeah, we need to Edward. acknowledge that. Yes. Edward, later Edward VI, but Edward does not fare so well in his life. Although he outlives his father, we know that much. But Edward dies, uh, I want to say like six years or something after Henry dies when he's still a teenager. I think there's all that. They're still, they're still, I don't know. If they, I saw a bunch of different things on why he probably died. Well, speculation. They, I've seen everything from sweating sickness to... Yeah, it's a fever and cough. Basically, <laughs> he's all smallpox. They have no idea what he could have had. When he was sick, like, even as a child and a baby, and going back to Henry being a hypochondriac, he sent him out of the, the Tower of London, the palace, pretty much, and to another location where they would scrub the walls and clean the sheets and literally try to sanitize everything the best that they knew how to at that time um, to keep him healthy and alive. Nuts. But what they couldn't keep, or rather whom they couldn't keep alive, was Jane herself. I mean, this is... She was dead two weeks after giving birth, right? Or actually two weeks after the christening, Edward's christening. That's what it was. And it said it was probably because of complications from the birth. So he did not stay married to Jane for too long. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. 
In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, but he said that he suffered a lot of um, gr- uh, grief from that. Like he was generally upset the fact. Well, that, she gave um, him the son, right? Yeah, so he was. Yeah, he he wasn't really tired with her yet. I guess if you're gonna look at it from how everything else worked. And she was the only one that received a queen's burial. And he actually, yep. um, when he died, he was buried next to her, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, because she, she gave him, she gave him the heir, right? She, well, she gave, yeah, got what he wanted, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and he requested that too to be buried next to her. Unlike Anne, she's like buried, and her head didn't fit in the coffin, like straight. So they had like put it next to her. Oh. <laughs> That's very dead. opposite. It's very, very opposite there. <laughs> she's like what? holding her head so bad. <laughs> It's just, that's a lot. There's a lot you of guys are not that. inviting me back after this one. No, no, this is great. <laughs> oh, this is nothing. Oh, please. Um, all right, Anne. So that he moves on to another Anne. That's like that's his second Anne. But we are now on the fourth wife. So Anne of Cleves, oh. right? This was a quick one. Yeah, it's not. But I'm going to let you guys talk first because okay. there's some new theories that have emerged. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, she was never crowned, right? She was never actually crowned the queen. She just um, was married, supposedly, for just uh, six months. But I guess there's some other stuff with that. Well, that's because and, he uh, thought she was better looking. Did you hear that whole story? So basically, so he needed—he was a bachelor for two years, right? And um, it was his chief minister that suggested, that, like, you, we need a European alliance, right? You got to marry one of these uh, sisters from German, you know, Germany's Duke of Cleves. So there's Anne and there's Amelia. So what he does is... Uh, Henry requests a portrait of both of these women to be sent to him. So he gets Amelia and he gets Anne and he actually looks at, and he's like, ah, Anne looks better. He like, she, he actually thought she was more flattering, right. Of the two. But then when Anne arrives in England in 1540, he's shocked. He's like, wow, you look nothing like your painting. So he actually tried to stop the wedding from happening. Um, but the arrangement itself, like the political aspect of the wedding has gotten, had got so far up to that point. That he had no choice. So he marries her on January 6, you know, 1540. And she arrived there five days prior. Like he literally only knew her for five, barely knew her five days. And he was automatically not attracted to her. He was like, I want nothing to do with one. And um, she's actually called historically as the, the ugly wife. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of mean to be remembered as that. Yeah, she um, wasn't well-educated either, right? He really didn't like that. That was another big thing. Uh, he ended this six months later. Basically, he has... Uh, annulment. I mean, he's just like, yeah, there's a settlement. Like she gets a nice settlement, go live in peace. Uh, I, I think she becomes, she gets a title as King's sister or something like that. And then she like lives for another like, you know, 15, 17 years or something. She lives went um, all the way to uh, 57. See, uh, Mary, see, see Mary actually coronated as queen. Yeah. Coronation. Yeah. All right. So what, what, what do you got for us? What do you got for us? Right. How are you going to debunk everything that we just said? No, you got <laughs> everything. I said. That was awesome. <laughs> Throw it all out. Um, some other things I'm going to throw in there. So although he was in mourning for Jane for, I think he actually wore clothing, like the traditional black, whatever, the black colors and, and so forth. He only wore that for a year, but it took him two years to get married. 
but a month after Jane dies, he had already put out there that he like, let's start looking for a wife. So because the process took so long, could have been the reason why there was such a gap or is it because he really loved her? Well, we don't know, but there were other suitors. He was originally going after Catholic wives, but it got to the point where his advisors were like, that's a terrible idea. Like you're already pissed off the, the Pope. What are you thinking here? You can't go back. And like some of them were related to Catherine, the first wife that he was seeking, or there was a lot of like interties that he was avoiding. So he ends up with um, Anne of Cleves and he sees the portrait and you're right. Like she's not, she's pretty good looking. Okay. I mean, Holbein painted her. It's like the expert master painter at that point. So it's not like somebody that's like missing stuff. He was having other things. He was very picky about characteristics and this could be Hans, like the Hans right? Hans Holbein, yeah. the younger. Yep. Younger. Um, but he was even having like, what does their body look like in specific detail getting sent back and forth, you know, over these two years. So here's Anne. She shows up, they meet each other. She pulls the veil back and the meet and greet, like we're about to get married. And he's like, oh man, you look as ugly as a mare, pretty much. Like you look like a horse. <laughs> they call it, I call it a Flanders mare or something, right? Yeah. Oh, like, that's not nice. No, that's just like somebody's supposed to marry. Yeah, we're supposed to get married. And like the first thing you say to me is like, you look at me like repulsed and you sound as ugly as a horse. That's awesome. That's not, I don't like Henry VIII. He's so, not nice. He uh, ends up after, yeah, like he couldn't consummate it. She was too ugly. She was unattractive. Yeah. Now, and that's why he was able to get annulled because they never consummated the marriage. Also, yeah. there was she went along with it, yeah. no yeah. evidence, but he was claiming that she was already betrothed to somebody else also um, back in the German States. So you had that kind of going in his favor too. But. Um, the new theory is that he has already had how many wives and there was already 15, I think it was about 15 pregnancies that those three wives have gone through. So he's very familiar with um, a woman that's also, you know, gone through childbirth and how it changes your body and so forth. And it could have been a scandal that was you know, he was saving her from that he found out after the fact that she might have had a baby out of wedlock before their marriage Ooh. and saved her reputation and the alliance between uh, pretty much the German states, the Protestant nations and England. So you still had that political alliance without the humiliation and embarrassment on behalf of all of the families because he then puts her up and into really nice housing he pays like, yeah he gets she gets two houses i think right and like a really generous really? allowance she is living like the bachelorette life that people wanted to live back then. <laughs> you know like <laughs> she also you know like she had people that she the love interest but she never got married to any of them and apparently her and the king were still really good friends and he would like invite her over as like the guest of honor every once in a while hmm. so I mean, again, this is something that is a newer development. It's still a theory, but it does kind of connect some of the dots with some of the actions. Like, let me just say you're too ugly instead of saying like, hey, um, you know, you end ruining your complete reputation if she did have a child out of wedlock. So hmm. there you have it. Something new. So that moves us to her fifth out of six wives, and that's Catherine Howard. Um, she's actually the first cousin of Anne, right? And B, yeah. first hand. Um, 
and also lady in waiting for for the, the again they all they all know each other oh well, not all of them but like a lot of them they know each other they're kind of this inner circle type of stuff right but this is interesting too because he marries Catherine Howard in 1540 which makes him like 50 basically almost 50 years old and Catherine is like 19 at the time yep yep and they said she was very attractive lively like Basically, like he saw her and he was like, "All right, like this, this is my new queen." Um, and they said, you know, she liked the company actually of younger men, and she was like super flirtatious, which kind of becomes her undoing later on because the rumors start to really accumulate that, like, ah, was she really a virgin before she married the king? Like, even though she's nineteen, back then people got married at like fifteen, so that's kind of what is the ultimate downfall for Catherine Howard. Rose, he called. He was like in love with her because, like, she was like his. Well, he said he he like indulged her every whim and stuff like that. He was he was basically enamored with her for at least in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, she made him feel young again, right? Because he used to do all of this fun stuff and flirt and have all these relationships and go pretty much do what he wants. And you know, part of him probably wanted to feel attracted to somebody after his you know failed marriage with Anne. Um, and she gave him that attention in public, in front of people, to the point where some of his friends were like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Like, <laughs> but um, he's also like this at this time. He's already overweight. He's already unable to walk when he's married to her. You know, she's like, like this, exactly. She's just like super young, nineteen-year-old party, yeah. and he's and like, he, and he's over, he's over four hundred pounds with a fifty-four inch waist, right? Yeah, like, like it's not. I don't think it's what she uh, envisioned herself to be with. But he's the king. He's the yeah. king. And she very much was having affairs where there is proof and she didn't even deny it <laughs> towards the end. She's just like, I'd rather be this person's mistress than your wife in so many words, um, you know, right before she's executed. So I mean, that's definitely a message to send to the king. Well, but also <laughs> this is interesting because no children, right? She's the only one. They were married for almost a year and produced no children, which is crazy. And again, because she was cheating on him, eventually she's accused of treason, adultery. I wonder if he got the same person to behead Catherine Howard as he did his other wife. I never, found, never found confirmation of that. And That'd I also don't think her execution went as clean as as Anne's did. Yeah. Crazy. For whatever All right. That brings us to the final one that actually outlived him, right? Based on my research. Yes. All right. So what do we Catherine. know about Catherine Parr? The last one, the most influential, supposedly, in making sure that not even about, but like there's everywhere, everywhere I read that she's the reason why we had Mary and Elizabeth later on. I mean, that's what yes. I read, right? Um, Catherine's like the intellectual wife, right? Like on that level of it's not necessarily your raging hormones and the attractiveness, but like this is, you know, we could sit down and maybe have tea i'm not sure what he preferred to be honest and just talk <laughs> like do that like debate to so but Catherine had to be careful because she did have a lot of opinions and if she overreached i mean that really wasn't a woman's place to be spouting out your opinions um to the king especially even if you're married but it wasn't her first husband and she's older and she knows you know this is something where even if I don't want to marry the king, I'm not really in a position to deny him the marriage. And she saw it for what it was. Um, but she does push the education of the daughters and, and Edward and, and so forth, like making sure that 
you know, kind of repairing it like Jane was working on. Yep. Also, supposedly, I mean, it's not supposedly, it's pretty obvious that he trusted her so much that when he went, he goes to war, doesn't he appoint her like his successor, basically, Queen, right? Queen Regent? Yeah. Like, so he's like, look, if anything happens to me, she's boss. Like, that was like a, that was a big. Another thing that was interesting, like when, which I, I was like, I guess they didn't normally, but when he died at 55, she was allowed to keep all her gowns and jewels and reside in one of his castles. And apparently, like, that was like a big deal. I don't know. I guess they normally threw them out. Like if the kings died, what like what did they do? Like go home? I don't I don't know. It depends on who was in power next. I guess. Um they can either grant you places to live. Uh if it was a dying wish of the kings, they could say, Hey, you know, you can keep stuff, or you could be completely thrown out pretty much of the castle, similar to Elizabeth of York. All right, going back to uh, Henry's father, uh, mother, sorry, she wasn't always living in the palace. And the thing is, there was a period of time where Henry's grandmother actually was kicked out of the palace, um, going all the way back to grandma status, where she was not allowed to be in the palace or anywhere near the royal family for a very long time. So that's going a little bit further back in history. But yeah, it could, you can meet a total happiness and everybody's family and we kind of you know support each other still or you're ousted and peace out it really depends um but Catherine parr also was caught with a prayers book and again even though you would be as a protestant be able to interpret the bible and so forth on your own um without you know somebody from the cloth for lack of better words she, uh, Henry is not happy about this and it's something that could have her potentially executed because it'll make him look really bad and it's breaking some of the rules that are in place. And he kind of just says like calls her out on it, but looks the other way. And mm. it could have been because he was too tired and old or sick or just had enough of all the drama throughout his life that he gives her a pass on that one. As far as you know, and also only one last thing before we finish up with her, she she actually married again afterwards. <laughs> yeah, um, right. She's like, all right, that one's done. Let's move on. Um, and but the last marriage apparently only lasted a year because then she passed away. But yeah, she was just like, all right, I'm a traveler, you know, <laughs> like yeah. where, where where to next? And he um, was related to Jane Seymour. Was she no? Oh, the the husband, yeah. Really? Her Henry was related to John Seymour. I mean, hmm. Jane Seymour, not John. I think his See? name might have been John. But... You learn something new every day. All right, so before we're done with these six wives, that was, that was an interesting course of events there. Um, any, does anyone have any, like, funny, fun facts about any of this or just King Henry VIII? I mean, I, the one I found is that he was a hoarder. They said, like, super lavish lifestyle, um, intense desire to just, like, hold on to things. They said he owned approximately 50 palaces at the time of his death, uh, 6,500 handguns, 70 ships, just his own, um, 78 flutes. That was a little odd. Um, and like five sets of bagpipes. Like there was that was like his personal belongings. What else? Also, apparently, like his last words may have been monks, 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 because he was like having these visions. He was delusional. And they said his eyes were like opening and closing and rolling back of his head. And I uh, started like muttering towards monks, like the monks were coming. Sorry, 
um i don't know i mean i can't really i couldn't really find any other things that were like i think his whole life was kind of interesting so yeah it was mostly yeah the interesting facts i just talked about how he was like, wife, obsessed with yeah. yeah that was his main he was like he would always just eat strawberries like constantly hmm. good to know that's a big thing um they said he may have had a blood disorder i saw that I that might be why he, he couldn't produce um males the kel, kel disease something like that yeah, and he was convinced that there was nothing wrong with him because he could have male heirs with his mistresses. So why not with his actual wives? Um, which, you know, they didn't really know about the Punnett Square back in the day either. But that's something where the wives would get blamed for not having control over the gender of the child, which we probably should have mentioned at the beginning, but that's okay. Yeah, that's a fun one anyway. Well, um, what else we Catherine, have? Catherine had a monkey. Catherine of Aragon, which I think is pretty cool, right? Like, give a monkey. <laughs> uh, okay, no too, right? That is like, funny. not only do I have a pet monkey, but like, paint me and the monkey together. Yeah, That's why not? Right, right. How they get the monkey to stay still that long? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the things we think about, right? Five hundred years later, you know, I wonder how they got that monkey to stay still. How they get that monkey? Um, <laughs> And the one thing, like, Tom, you brought this up before, like, his waist size was 54. Well, they say, yeah, he ate, they said later on in his life, he probably ate approximately 5,000 calories a day. Wow. Like, he was eating, he would eat birds, like peacocks and swans. That was, like, some of his favorite. Like, every day, wow. bring me another swan, bring me another peacock. And he would just drink, sometimes they said, 70 pints of ale a week. Tons of white rhyme, sweetened with sugar. Like, this guy, he just, because he couldn't move around anymore because of injuries. So he pretty much just stayed in the palace and just ate they said um most times 13 courses of food every day jeez that's a lot of food like around the clock that is a lot of food i know that's i mean he became, death, but. but when he became king right he became king in 1509 he was only 17 and they said he was like super fit and skinny which we kind of started off with um they said that initially his waist was like at like a 30 to 32 before it ballooned to 50 yeah then he just well when you're eating 5,000 calories a day you're not moving yeah that, yeah, that might do it Right. Um, he also was apparently a pretty decent musician. They said he could literally like just you could give him notes to something and yeah. he'll just play music. Like he, he knew. He had a good memory too. Like that's why he kind of he didn't like doing the state government stuff, right? But mm-hmm. he would do it like later when he was younger. Later on in the day, after he did all his other stuff in the morning hunting, and they said he just has a really good memory. He was able to remember things that really helped him to uh, to govern at least at first. But obviously, with time, that fades. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, just want to what mention else? that although he has these mistresses, it's not anything out of the norm where he had like an exuberant amount of yeah. mistresses compared to other. Um, yeah, they said he was nothing compared to some of the other ones. Like yeah, like the French king. Oh man, that was that's a whole nother podcast. But <laughs> oh, she said it <laughs> she, she belongs here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. You know, how well we do on this one? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing great. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. But yeah, he's uh and, and really when you think about this, like it's a really revolutionary time in history where you started a different religion practically, right? Like a new faction. And eventually, you know, Edward's going to be his successor, but he also has in line that his daughters are then going to take the throne after Edward should something happen. Yeah. I mean, Edward screwed that whole thing up right before he died, but that's... That's another uh, podcast. Another podcast. <laughs> anyway, this was awesome. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. You clearly know a lot more about this than we do. 
Um, so we appreciate your knowledge and your Thanks willingness you to, uh, yeah, expertise. This is good. Well, we're not like messing anything up. Because no, no, are you crazy? This is awesome. No, it's I'm great sorry. stuff. There's nothing to mess. There's nothing to mess up. We just you got two of us here. There's it does. I mean, it only goes up from here. You know, anyone we bring in, they just improve this podcast. There's no question about it. So, um, to our listeners, guys. Thank you so much uh, again to De- for you know Danielle. Thank you so much for coming in, and everyone yes, out there. Thank you. thank you, thank you so much for um, for tuning in again uh, this week. And we are always here if you want to email us some questions or anything else. You can find us at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Um, you can also find us on social media. Just look for History Teachers Talking Podcast. But anyway, um, I guess that's it. So again, thanks again, Danielle. Thank you. This has been fun, guys. Awesome. Thanks. And uh, enjoy, everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.